Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is the Freeman Report with your host, James Freeman, on today's news talk radio, TNT. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report, which puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. It is Thursday, the 1st of February. My name is James Freeman. And on today's show, we'll be back on the incredibly important topic of farming. Last week, Gareth Wynne-Jones appeared on the show to talk about the wide range of pressures that farmers are facing which um, are caused mostly, guess by, government. Yes, government is responsible for most of the problems faced by farmers. Um, Gareth also spoke of a new campaign he and others have launched called No Farmers, No Food. Then earlier this week, the managing director of PX Farms, James Peck, spoke about the fact that the UK government's Sustainable Farming Initiative, aka SFI, makes it four times more profitable for him to give up producing food on his prime agricultural land and focus on managing the land for the environment. We also spoke about farmers being encouraged to give up farming altogether and the worrying fact that the average age um, of a UK farmer is now 59. Um, today, we will hear from Steve Evans, who is a Welsh dairy farmer um, here in Pembrokeshire in Wales, um, I've watched a few of Steve's videos on social media talking about how dairy farmers produce milk at cost or below cost, I should say, um, because of the power of the supermarkets and the fact that they use milk as a loss leader. Now, I'm not really sure how we've ended up in this situation, um, but given the supermarkets need to sell more milk, um, surely farmers can just demand higher prices. Um, that's how the economics of capitalism is supposed to work. So why is that not happening? And what can be done to resolve the issue so that dairy farms and wider farms, um, whether they're um, bringing up cattle um, and sheep um, or growing crops, have a long-term future? And this is the big question surrounding farming at the moment. Does farming, as we know it, have a future? Now, I know that's a ridiculous question to ask, because without farmers, there would be no food. But that is the question that farmers are being forced to ask because of globalist policies that are undermining the viability of farms across Europe. Those of us who've been looking at this for some time are already aware that this is a power grab attempt because the globalists want total control over what we eat and how it's produced. The globalists say it's to save the planet. And the reality is there are some environmental issues to sort out, like soil erosion, for example. But those of us who are awake are under no illusions about what the globalist plan is. Gates and others um, are investing huge sums of money buying up farmland and are developing new products like fake meat. Gates is also ploughing lots of money into research on micronutrients that they want to add to all of their Frankenstein foods. Now, the big picture to all of this 
is the corporate entity that is driven by profit and the drive towards global corporate governance. People in the West are obese. Chronic illness is skyrocketing. And while all of this is happening, pills are dished out like sweets as the answer to those chronic illnesses. Consumers are encouraged to buy and consume crap that uses the Earth's resources that are shipped across the world to us just in time. Stuff that we don't need and have limited lifespans, which mean we're encouraged to replace them regularly. And despite all of this economic activity, most people around the world live hand to mouth. Even in the West, most people don't have an option other than to participate in the rat race and pay to pay their mortgage and rent, which leads to them consuming the little trinkets on offer because they provide some sort of escape from their miserable lives. It is a vicious circle that most find increasingly themselves increasingly trapped in. Now, I know I am, of course, painting the worst elements of modern life. But as time goes on, this reality um, is ever increasingly the reality for a larger proportion of the population, which is all directed and controlled by the corporations. So... When those very same corporations tell us that we need to change this model that they've created and that they have the answer, only a fool would trust them. I mean, why should we trust the very same entities that created a world based upon a model that puts profit before people and profit before the environment? What the corporations want is the whole population living hand to mouth via the use of CBDCs and digital IDs, a system of personalized money that can be set to expire after a set date, that can be used to control individuals directly so that the accumulation of wealth is impossible, a system of money that can control every aspect of our lives. The corporations want more control over us and our lives. And like with the current model they've created, it is all based upon profit first, humanity second. This is the fight. It's the heart of the fight of the current struggle between governments and farmers. I mean, it's not like all of the governments around Europe individually decided to squeeze the farmers. No, this is a centralized plan that is called Agenda 2030 a plan devised a long time ago by a small number of the world's ruling elite, <clears throat> which is being deployed via the UN and our governments, which act as enforcers alongside the corporations which control the rollout of the plan. This is all being done by the merging of intra-government entities via, um, like via agreements, rather, like the Memorandum of Understanding that the World Economic Forum has with the UN, and also via the corporate funding of UN entities like the WHO. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the battle that is currently taking place. And the farmers are on the front line as they defend farming and our food systems from a corporate takeover. And 
If that wasn't enough to whet your appetite for today's show, then I also have the amazing Dr. Jan Halper-Hayes on to talk about Trump's race for the Republican nominee and the escalation of the situation at the Texas border. So stay tuned for all of this after today's breaking news story with Gemma Cooper in a moment. If you want to get in touch, as always, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. I believe you've actually got um, a, a story um, in line with the um, today's editorial on the f- situation with the farmers. Yeah, it's happening as we speak, James. Uh, all the protests that we've seen across Europe, you know, Germany, France, the Netherlands, all the European farmers coming out and their tractors in force. Well, a lot of them have converged outside the European Parliament in Brussels this morning. Uh, there's a summit going on there of EU leaders and they want to make their feelings incredibly felt, which they are doing about the, the net zero proposals, which you talk about EU policies, all designed to destroy farming uh, and, and put farmers out of business. Many have already gone out of business, as, as you highlighted there. Um, they were throwing stones and sticks and eggs. They started fires outside the European Parliament building. They've torn down a statue of a British industrialist, which is outside the EU uh, Parliament building, a statue of a guy called John Cockerell. He was a steel baron who helped transform Brussels into an industrialised nation. So it's kind of symbolic of moving away from living off the land and living with machinery. They've, to- they've torn it down. They've torn it down. I somehow think they'll get a better reception than, uh, than Black Lives Matter tearing down the statue and also Extinction Rebellion have targeted this statue in the past, but I do think public opinion on this one will be behind the farmers. Uh, The demos across Europe have been largely peaceful. There were some arrests in France yesterday as farmers blockaded a market. But other than that, the farmers have have converged on cities in their tractors, but things have been relatively peaceful. Not so this morning. Uh, The the police in uh, Brussels have used tear gas. They've used water cannons to calm the situation down. I don't think it's working. Uh, And there are are more than 1,300 tractors in Brussels. And not only are they outside the European Parliament building, they're blocking key roads uh, into the capital there. So uh, yeah, uh, it it comes at a time as well uh, where the French Prime Minister, the new one, Gabriel Attal, he's due to give an announcement now, uh, announcing a package of new measures to kind of appease the farmers after after the demonstrations we've seen in recent days. Whether that will be enough, I don't know. Feelings are running incredibly high across the farming community, right across the EU and here in in Britain. Um, And it'll be very interesting to see where this goes because I think on this one, public opinion is set absolutely with our food producers and growers. There's no two ways about it. And you know what I was thinking about all of this yesterday when I was looking at the um, the protests, the farmers protesting in France? Do you know what? Our governments are going to struggle to deal with these farmers because unlike all of us in the freedom movement, um, farmers are generally not on social media. That's not how they organise themselves via WhatsApp groups and whatever else. They organise themselves by talking at markets, by um, actually talking to the farmers next door to them. And do you know what that means? It means that, um, you know, it makes it very difficult for the government to spy on what they're talking about and how they're organising themselves and the issues they're talking about. So the government 
have re- got a real problem with these farmers. And I think it's absolutely brilliant that they're standing up. Um, obviously, you know, we, we've tried to do it in the freedom movement over the past few years, but there's nothing like a farmer with a large tractor to hold the government to ransom. So well done um, if you're one of those farmers that is um, taking action. Now, Gemma, um, I, I should imagine there's farmers from all countries, aren't they? Not just from Belgium in, in Brussels. Um, where are these farmers coming from? Yeah, they're coming from across Europe. So I think we can safely say there's French farmers in there. There's, there's obviously uh, Belgian farmers. I'm sure people from the Netherlands have, have joined this convoy. We've had the German farmers. I mean, I don't have a breakdown of the, the demographic of who's come from which country, but they have come from across Europe. They've mobilized themselves. They, they, they've coincided it with this summit. There's powerful people there converging today. So they, they've, they've picked the right time um, and tensions are running high. And I think it's just this tinderbox of, of feeling. And I think when you've got all the different farmers from all the different countries coming together, it kind of spurs you, doesn't it? It's a bit like the freedom protest when you realise it's not just you that thinks that way. There's a great kind of cross section of people in your country and around the world. It does galvanise emotion, and you know, and as well, they've been under such. Um, pressure for so long economically most of these yeah. farmers you know hear people saying um that they can't make a living that one farmer he's been making 500 euros a month that was a french farmer we heard from on tnt yesterday you know 500 euros a month that's awful and they get up at the crack of dawn they work hard and they're being squeezed by the corporations squeezed by the supermarkets net zero policies imposed on them from on high that nobody voted for as you rightly say you know it's only a matter of time these people are human beings uh and before they kind of crack and i i think this is is more a kind of um, a release of emotion. You know, they're all meeting each other to make their their, their their voices heard. And I think that's really galvanized them, as it did with us on the freedom rallies, you know, that more and more joined, uh, you know, month on month in those protests. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here with, with the farmers as they, as they unite. They unite against the system. Yeah. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. Wow, not good luck to them. It's, it's all of us, isn't it, Gemma? Now, um, sat here, I'm wondering what can we all do to support them? Obviously, there's campaigns like No Farmers, No Food. Go and check that out on social media. Support them, follow them, um, give them money if you can afford to. It's a really good um, campaign that's just been kicked off in the UK. <clears throat> but I think more widely, um, what we can all do, particularly us at TNT, but also anybody who's on social media, is explaining to the public why the farmers are doing this. Because I've looked at the mainstream news and they're trying to spin this. They're trying to say that, you know, in it's those crazy French farmers. It's all about subsidies and them being greedy and all this. You know, we need to explain very, very clearly to the public what is at the heart of this issue, which is it's the corporation. It's the corporate takeover or the planned corporate takeover of our food systems, our farms. And what they're doing is they're squeezing the farmers who are incredibly important. As Gareth Wynne-Jones said, if, you, if you're going to go on an ark, you want a doctor and you want a farmer. Um, they're the first two people that you want on, on, on your boat, you know. So it is our job at TNT to explain this to the public and for all of you on social media. You know, like I said, join the campaigns and make sure you're explaining very, very clearly what is going on here. This isn't some sort of, um, you know, French farmers and German farmers just wanting more money. This is an extent existential threat to the, the current farming model that we have. The corporations want their hands on the land and the farms, and they want to take over our food systems. Um, and we don't want that. And I think most people actually, once they understand that that is what is at stake, they don't want it either. 
Absolutely well said. Yeah. And I think no, I don't think many people are aware of the net zero policies that, that, that are, you know, coming from the EU and that that's what's squeezing them too. And as you say, it's all a means to control food production and, and by mm. extension, by extension, us is to control us. So yeah, we need to, yeah, we need exactly. to make and, you know, Sorry, Gemma. Um, you know, they all these environmentalists or so-called environmentalists talk about saving the planet. The planet's fine, right? The planet's been here for billions of years. And even if we go extinct, the planet will carry on. Life will carry on on this planet. Um, what we're talking about is us, right? So it's, it's, it's kind of a bit of an oxymoron, really, because what they're saying is, you know, we need less of us in order to save us because we're not going to save the planet the planet's fine um it will carry on for more billions of years whether we do or not so the whole argument over this about you know well you know we need to um less food which essentially means less of us and and people um you know particularly in certain parts of the world starving to death that's the reality um it is about less of us to save us it makes no sense whatsoever no. right okay i've got that off my chest now Gemma. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Gemma. Um, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the coming days because it doesn't sound like the farmers are going to back down and well done them. Right. So to the rest of you, don't go anywhere because I've actually got a farmer um, on the show with me next. He is Steve Evans. He's a dairy farmer from here in Wales. So we're going to talk. We've talking about, you know, some the wider issues on farmers. Today, we're going to talk about the dairy industry and why dairy farmers are backed into a corner where they're working seven days a week for a loss, a year on year loss. This has been going on for a long time. So I'm gonna talk all about that in a moment here on TNT. TNT's Mark Morano. This just in, we have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways, streets, and other public areas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way we have a uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down, but obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. 
I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Right. Okay. So my next guest, I have watched a few of his videos on social media. Um, he's a dairy farmer, incredibly important um, to all of us. You know, all of us, well, most of us drink milk, have cups of tea, have um, milk on our cereal in the mornings. And um, Steve Evans is one of those dairy farmers. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? Morning. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. Thanks. Fantastic. Well, listen, obviously you're out on the farm, which is why we got you on the phone. Um so thank you for for taking some time out of your busy schedule to to to, to join okay. me on the Freeman Report, Steve. I wonder if you wouldn't start by um, telling us a little bit about your farm. Um, you know, how long has it been in the family? How long have you been farming? And um, also, if you could describe a normal working day for yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll be honest with you. I am the fourth generation on this farm. Um, my family um, got into farming through necessity more than anything else um you know great grandparents um my great grandfather was an undertaker um and then you know he he had quite a large family um so they got into farming through necessity had to feed the children um so it was rather ironic he, he started feeding a few more people in the, in the village and yeah he fed people and buried people um you know <laughs> which, <laughs> brilliant <laughs> But it's 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 been in the family for the best part of a hundred years, and um, it's what I can't get over is what's gone on in the last certainly five years um, have have been pretty catastrophic. Um, you know, in terms of dealing with volatility, things out of our control. Um, you know, no, no offense, nobody here in West Wales realised that Putin was going to go and invade uh, the Ukraine. Um, you know, that had massive, massive impacts on us um, financially, um, you know, and that tied in and coupled in and linked in with sort of all the new policies that's coming around about, uh, around sort of green commitments. Um, you know, it's 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 troubling times, you know. Yeah. And Steve, just I'll just butt in there. Um, um, can you explain to, to the viewers um, why that war in Ukraine has had an impact on your costs? Yeah, sure. We obviously to make crops grow, you you need uh, fertilizers. You know, phosphate, potash, uh, nitrogen. You know, it's is is a hell of a lot of what we call capital fertilizers. Phosphate and potash come come from uh, you know Eastern Europe. Um, then you had the destabilization of the oil. Um, you know, nitrogen is a byproduct of that, and, and the gas. So it it just went from a situation. In, in a matter of months where we were paying 300 pounds a ton fertilizers to over a thousand pounds a ton for fertilizers yeah. um, you know and there was a hell of a lag within 
the market for the produce we were selling. So we had to cover off that massive financial gap in between. And that that was the challenge because not only were you trying to manage animals and crops and things like that, you were trying to manage your finances even harder than you know you ever had before. And it's farming agriculture has never been never been a way to get rich. It's it's never been that at all. And um as it stands at the minute we are losing money on every liter of milk that we produce and goes out the farm gate so it's it's causing carnage absolute carnage not just on our farm but on every single farm across the country yeah of course and this this issue with the fertilizer and energy costs is obviously experienced by all farmers i've got farmers in yeah. the family and it, it's almost impossible to manage isn't it because you you've got to manage these fluctuations and, and you see huge great fluctuations in that and you don't know what yeah. you're going to get for your produce the next year no you don't. um you know if, you you, don't. if you've got cattle or if you've got crops because that that varies as well and we see huge fluctuations there so farmers um are under pressure from that but um, I think you'll agree, Steve, that this has been going on for many years, particularly with the dairy um, industry. You've been squeezed. Um, surely we live in a capitalist system where you can just say, I want more for my milk. Why Why can't you just do that? It's in, in an ideal scenario. Let's roll back a few years. We We had the greatest thing ever which was the milk marketing board. They they marketed the milk, um, but not only just the liquid milk, they marketed the cheese, the butter, the yogurts, things like that. That's that's how it worked, okay? They were our marketing board. That was disbanded in the early 90s as it was deemed too powerful. Um, now then, you can see ah, where this is going. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, sorry, carry so, on, Steve, yeah. You, I'll, I'll, I'll just fill you in a little bit as well because my grandparents themselves it started farming in their own right um in the late 40s early 50s and between then and the early 90s when they retired and my parents took over took over the enterprise they never had a year where the milk price went down it always either stayed level or went up and you knew where you were um but unfortunately that marketing board was split up and um you know, it's it's caused carnage ever since because it's just increased the volatility. The power then shifted to the retailer. All the risk is now sitting within the farm gate, and the retailer they have very little risk. Their their major risk is 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 the footfall. They have to do whatever it takes to get through people through the door to spend money in their stores. Well, you've got milk, um, bread, potatoes. Those are the staples. You know, and yet they are used as lost leaders to get footfall through the door. Um, and you have to remember, milk is milk. You know, dairy products are dairy products. It's not caviar we're producing. It's it, the, This is a staple product. It's not a luxury item. You know, 90 uh, on the last uh, uh, data uh, set that was done, like 94% of households buy dairy products. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And whilst... There's there's a bit of movement going on at the moment, and you're seeing across Europe the protests going on there. That that's on a number of levels. Okay, it's on pricing structures. It's it's on about the whole the green element as well, but also around you know taxations on on agricultural fuels, etc. 
Yeah, exactly. And Steve, I'm going to stop you there because we're going to just take a quick break for the, the news headlines. Yeah. But I, I want to carry on this conversation, so stay put. Um, yeah. I'll just make one comment on what you said. Um, so the this board, this milk board, was disbanded because it was too powerful. Sounds like it was too expensive is what they actually meant there. Um, because, you know, clearly they would have, um, you know, um, would have lobbied for certain prices um, for the whole industry itself. Um, but, Steve, I've got loads more questions, so don't go anywhere. Yeah, sure. Stick with me. Yeah. James Freeman on TNT. Here's what's making news. news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. President Joe Biden will visit the scene of last year's toxic train derailment in Ohio for the first time next month. With the presidential election now just months away, the White House says it feels now is the right time. Russia says a US Patriot missile was used to shoot down a military plane over the country last week, killing dozens of Ukrainian POWs. And the White House says it has identified the group responsible for last week's deadly drone strike on its forces in the Middle East. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. Right, now, Steve, I'm finding this conversation fascinating. Like I said, I have got farmers in the family, but not they're not dairy farmers. And I didn't realise there was a milk board um, back in the 90s that was disbanded, as you said, because it was too powerful. My interpretation of that um, would be probably because it was too expensive for the retailers and they wanted rid of it. Um, but how do the contracts look that you have with supermarkets these days? Okay, so... <sighs> We we have a contract. We have a milk buyer, okay? Um, it's a farmer-owned cooperative that we're part of. We've all, all got money invested into it. It's called First Milk. Um, they've done a damn good job, okay? But there are limitations because when it comes to negotiating contracts, things like that with retailers, there's one in particular who is absolutely horrific to deal with. Um, it's the largest one in the UK. I won't name names, but I think everybody can guess who it is. Um, but it, it's... When it comes to the contracts, we have a number of hoops to ju jump through, okay? So we get paid what is a standard litre price, and then we get bonuses on top. So currently, our standard litre price is around 38 pence per litre. If we tick all the boxes, jump through all the hoops, um, we could achieve a 42, 43 pence per litre milk price. Now, wonderful, um, but it's costing us mid 40s to produce the milk so this is the issue and when also within that contract we will have audits and visits from not the milk buyer but from the retailer who will come out they'll have a quick wander around they'll check how livestock are looking you know the general presentation of the farm how it looks from the roadside etc etc and then it's on to paperwork um and that's where the devil really is in the detail because right. there are a number of things in there but what is concerning at the minute is how we are having to give over our data everything to the retailer now that data 
belongs to us. That's ours. There is there is significant uh, alarm what's going on at the moment because we have to do a number of carbon audits, things like that. Well, if we have any surplus carbon storage on our farm, it very much seems to be that the retailer is using that opportunity to offset some of theirs, which should never be. That's ours. And we don't get paid for that. Steve, this is sounding, I've seen some documentaries on farming in the US and this model that you're describing there um, rings bells with, with, with that. It sounds exactly the same as that, whereby, you know, you've got to jump through all of these hoops and handing over all of your data, presumably the supermarkets yeah. are going to use that data against you because what they're going to yeah. do is they're going to use that data to squeeze you further and further. Yes, yes, it is. It's exactly that. And it's they want to know the ins and outs, every little detail of um, our, our expenditure. And you know why this is. It's because they can literally get a true representation on what your cost of production is and literally pay you just enough, just enough yeah. to sort of keep your heads above water. Now, 80 to 85 percent of the milk price goes to that that they charge in store that that stays with the retailer. There is a minute amount of money within the system that gets to the farmer. Um, you know, the old saying, the art of good business being a good middleman. Well, yeah, it's time for a little bit of transparency and honesty about where the hell all this money is going. I mean, we've seen one retailer just recently announced record profits, 2.3 billion. Well, mm, it's, it's opportunistic. Um, yeah, shareholders. Yeah, I think. I you know, think. Get, yeah, don't get sorry, me wrong. Steve, I was going to. I'm a shareholder. Sorry. I'm a shareholder in my business, um, but the returns are they're just not there. You know, like I said earlier, we're losing money on every liter that leaves the farm gate. It's it's insane. And, yeah, and 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 this model, Steve, um, just the documentaries that I've seen on the US. The reason that you're kept in that position where you're just about surviving all the time, because it means you, there's nothing you can do about it, because you, no. your focus every single day is about staying afloat day by day. So you're literally um, it's what it's doing is it's creating a situation where farmers are living hand to mouth in terms of the business and that that reality, which means the supermarkets have even more control. Um, this I, is I really. Sorry, yeah, sorry, go on. I had a yeah, I had a friend on the phone the day before yesterday who last year turned over £857,000 within his dairy business and he can't afford to buy food. He has no money. He's never been so poor. He turned over eight hundred and fifty-seven grand, but can't afford to feed himself. Yeah. And Steve, What's the other thing on? here as well, this is really important now as well because in the, the Blair and Brown government, they brought yeah. in working tax credits, right? Now, the supermarkets don't pay their staff enough money, you know, a living yeah. wage. So actually, us taxpayers subsidize their wages with these working tax credits or these supermarket workers. Um, so, the, so the supermarkets can pay more dividends to their shareholders. So we've got a fundamental problem here, haven't we, oh, with huge, the way the supermarkets huge. are set up? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Huge problem. And we have it leveled at us quite often that uh, oh, agriculture, you know, you get the handouts. You know, I've had it thrown at me on, on social media. Um, you know, you're having all this, all these subsidies, taxpayer money, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, they're not subsidizing us. They're subsidizing the consumer because it's what it's done is, is kept the food cheap. And whilst I'm fully conscious of not wanting to alienate the consumer because at the end of the day, they are our market. Um, but when you have when you have people who don't fully understand the ins and outs and intricacies of how how the food gets to the shelves, uh, you have a problem. And and I for one am, am doing as much as I can to try and educate people and, and without sounding patronizing at all, is just educate people on what the hell is going on because nobody knows. And you know, it's 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 very much a case of at the moment there are a huge percentage of not just dairy, but the whole of agriculture that are going to exit the industry, um, you know, and that is criminal because here we are at a time when we should be, um, should be, you know, sort of focusing on food security, um, and yet it's going the other way fast. Yeah. Steve, it definitely is criminal. Thank you so much, Steve. And you're doing a brilliant job, by the way, of educating people. Um, just a final question, Steve. Um, how many days a week do you work? Uh, Ten. No, it's, it's every day. It's every day. I mean, yeah. you know, the alarm goes off quarter past five in the morning. You're up and out. Um, like last night, I didn't get into court at 11. You know, it's it's just how it is. It's, you know, I I'll, I'll just explain how it is. I chose this vocation. I don't want thanks for what I do. That's that's not what this is about. It's just making sure everybody understands what's going on and where the hell the money's going, because it certainly isn't coming into the farm gate. Steve Evans, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, Steve. And I know you don't Hello. want thanks, um, but you're going to get it anyway. Um, you know, thank you to you and all the other farmers, because without you, no farmers, no food, which is obviously the campaign which has just been launched. Thank you very much, Steve Evans. No, thank you. Right. OK, we're going to go to a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to have Dr. Jan Halpler Hayes, who's going to talk all about the Trump um, race for to be the Republican nominee and also that situation at the Texas border. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, the media and the administration celebrated as the United Auto Workers Union president endorsed Joe Biden's re-election campaign. And this choice is clear. Joe Biden bet on the American worker while Donald Trump blamed the American worker. Let me just first say that President Biden is known as the most pro-union president in modern times, right? And this is not a title that he has given himself. Yeah. This is a title that other union union members and unions have given him. Mm -hmm. And that is because of the work that he's done. Ah, but Karine Jean-Pierre, there's a problem with all of this. On the same day that he made the endorsement, the president of the UAW said this. Look, let me be clear about this. <laughs> A great majority of our members will not vote for President Biden. Uh, yes, some will, uh, but that's the reality of this. Uh, the majority of our members are going to vote their paychecks. They're going to vote for an economy that works for them. Ha! I guess the media will say the United Auto Workers, they just don't know how good they have it. They're too dumb to realize it. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. 
pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. The conversation continues with James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Right, okay. So from farming right over to the border situation in Texas and, of course, that presidential race um, with Trump for the for the Republican nominee. Um, and I'm delighted to talk all about that. I'll be welcoming back um, Dr. Jan Helpler-Hayes. Hello, Jan. How are you doing? Fine. How are you, James? Yeah, I'm really good, Jan. Thank you. Um, it's all kicking off here in Europe. Um, the farmers um, we've been learning this morning um, are all um, gathered outside the European Union in Brussels, throwing stones and sticks at the building. So it's a bit <laughs> like the Texas border at the moment. It's all kicking off. Now, Jan, obviously you've been on the show before. Um, you know, you're a, um, a confidant of Trump. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind just giving yourself a quick introduction for those um, who may not have seen you before. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I uh, was the worldwide vice president of Republicans overseas for a number of years, set up our 51 country chapters to fight a tax issue on behalf of all expat Americans. And then I ended up on Trump's transition team in 2016. And 2020, I was on the campaign advisory committee. And so the I, point, sorry, 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 Jan. I was just going to say, and in my previous life, I was a consultant that restructured companies and specialized in mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Now, the reason I wanted to do that is obviously we're going to talk all about Trump um, uh, as part of the conversation today. And I think you're fully qualified to do that, Jan. Um, obviously, you, you know, you know, Trump personally. Um, but let's start with this um, border situation in Texas, um, Jan. Um, I think the latest information is that 25 Republican states are standing with the governor of Texas. Some of them are even sending troops to the Texas border um, to help protect the infrastructure there, which the Biden administration wants taking down, which, of course, is going to make it easier for more illegal migrants to come across the border. Um, what is your interpretation of what is going on there, Jan? Well, there are a couple of factors, James. Uh, for some odd reason, the Supreme Court ruled that Texas has to take down the barbed wire off of the fence. That was put on there to deter people from climbing over the metal fence. Uh, Biden is in a very tough situation, even though the Supreme Court ruled in that respect in his favor. And then, as you said, it's now up to 27 different governors have wow. sent their National Guard uh, to support it. Um, Biden, if he declares the only way a president can order the National Guard from any state to do anything, he has to declare a national emergency. But if he declares a national emergency, then he's admitting there's a problem at the border. So he's in a double bind. And uh, 
this has been a very, very important thing. Um, we're a little concerned because we've got the Canadian version of the truckers. Um, and we hope that there aren't nefarious people that will cause another J6 kind of event. But uh, it's been very, very bad. And for liberal blue state governors to now say we have a problem because every state, every town has become a border town. Yeah, exactly. There's a few issues. Yeah, there are a few issues around this, aren't there? Because as you said, in democratic states, you know, Texas, by the way, um, you'll know this, Jan, when all of these people are coming across the border, what the te- what the governor is doing there is putting them on buses and sending them to um, cities like um, Denver um, um, and um, New York. And there's a real problem in those cities. So, you know, you've got 27 Republican governors now supporting Texas. But I'm sure you must have Democratic governors um, in a real bind here because do they speak up against the Biden administration or do they just suck it up because they've got their own problem with this, haven't they? And they don't. I'm sure that they don't want the borders open um, as well. What does Trump? What is Trump saying well, about well, this, Jan? Before we go, we, before we go to Trump, what Trump's saying because you made a very good point. See, what happened was uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida. Ann Abbott started busing them to New York City, to the steps of the vice president's home, to Nantucket, where all the wealthy liberals live, to Chicago. And the mayor of New York City, who is not uh, a very credible, uh, honest human being, actually criticized Biden and Biden put the FBI on him to confiscate his phones and his laptops because Mayor Adams spoke out against and said, we cannot handle all of these illegals. We just can't. And it is breaking our bank. They're closing schools to house the illegals in it so the kids don't go to school. I mean, it's really a bad situation. Jan, it does sound like a bad situation. Um, uh, let's put Trump aside because I want to explore this a bit more. Um, the American public must be looking aghast at what's going on here. I mean, do you think that we're going to see um, federal agents facing up to um, the National Guard at the border? Um, is that possible? Are we talking about civil war? I mean, that is the the kind of underlying undertone to all of this, isn't it? Well, just to understand, the National Guard can only be enacted if the governor in that particular state. Going back to my point, anything happening federally means that Biden has to declare a national emergency. He has to send that, whether it's an executive order or he has to tell Congress But if he says that, then he's admitting that the border is a real problem. So he can't federalize anything. This is only the governors that are in control of the National Guard. Okay, so 
Um, who is going to back down then? Because obviously this is now a focal point in US politics. Um, I think if if the situation stands as it is, um, well, Biden has gone to the, you know, the Biden administration has gone to the Supreme Court. Um, if if nothing changes in this situation, then Biden has lost, hasn't he? I mean, he's going to lose face um, to Democratic voters and, and the wider country. Um, surely he's not going to let that happen. So something's got to give, hasn't it? Well, he has pretty much lost face. And the Supreme Court only ruled that the barbed wire had to come down. Nothing else. We don't even know why we had some of the more conservative judges go with that. But um, the other issue is that there is a bill before Congress. And the latest thing that Biden said was if Congress will agree to give more aid to Ukraine, then he will consider reenacting Trump's policies which is basically stay in Mexico until we clear you to come through. But that's still being bantered back and forth in our Congress. This is really dirty stuff. As I know people say that <laughs> politics is about horse trading and but that, you know, the, the, the kind of deals we're talking about there is, is pretty awful. Um, let's move on to Trump. What is Trump? I'm sure Trump is talking about this. What has Trump got to say? Well, Trump has consistently said the same thing, that with this open border policy, uh, all the other countries are cleaning out their prisons, sending their worst to come to America. But when he is reelected, they will be taken away and sent back to their countries. He is... He's so against it. He knows that it was one of the issues in 2016 that got him elected. And what is upsetting to people, what it, whatever their political sway is or preference or ideology, the fact is they're not safe in their own cities anymore. Mm, yeah. And that is and of the course critical yeah, no, it is, Jan. Um, sorry to cut you off there. And, you know, there's also this underlying tension, isn't there? America has got lots of enemies around the world at the moment. And um, I think the public are very concerned about who it is that's coming in across the border. Um, how much is this damaging um, the Biden administration and the potential campaign for Biden? I say potential because in a minute I'm going to ask you whether the same question I asked you last time you were on, do we still think Biden is going to run? But how much does this damage the Democrats? Well, you know, you made an interesting point because let me let me deal with is Biden going to run? In 2022, the Democrat National Committee, which is does all the fundraising and, and sets the rules for the convention and everything else, they changed a rule. And that was that if, in fact, the nominee, the one at the at, when the convention is all said and done, if that nominee has to drop out for any reason, the Democrat National Committee members can decide who to put in as the candidate for the party. And the talk is 
well, don't believe this stuff about Michelle Obama. I mean, the Democrats love her, but uh, that that's just fake news as far as I'm concerned. It's Gavin Newsom or Michigan Governor Gretchen Weimer or the real idiot, which is our energy secretary right now, uh, Secretary Granholm. And it's it's all up for grabs. It really is. They definitely will keep, this is the most interesting thing, at least it was exposed in a tape-recorded conversation, uh, uh, Kamala Harris will have to stay as the vice president on the ticket because she's a black and she's a woman, and it would be terrible for the Democrat Party if they didn't have that kind of image and did something to a woman and a person of color. Right. Now, Jan, I know you say you you think it's fake news, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, because there are lots of rumors about Michelle Obama. So I think the first question is, let's just talk a hypothetical. If that um, if if that um, the the Democratic wider organization want to put um, Michelle Obama in um, later, if Biden has to drop out, first of all, I guess, is that possible? Could they do that technically? Well, the Democrat National Committee uh, changed the rules. So, yes, they absolutely right. can pick who they want. And and so and my next question is going to be then. I was just going to say, and that takes, the, that takes the power away from the Democrat voters. How are the Democrat voters going to feel if 168 people that represent the party from their states are deciding who their nominee is going to be. That creates a farce for our whole primary system. Yeah, I mean, I would argue the whole system is a farce anyway, but putting that aside, Jan. Um, let's, You're right. Let's, yeah, I mean, the reason I want to talk about this more with Michelle Obama is because out of all of the people Trump could run against, I do think that someone like Michelle Obama would be a real problem for Trump. Um, you know, I don't know how he would deal with um, her. Could he call her names? I mean, she's a a, a black woman. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I what what are your thoughts? Let's just talk about if if she did um, run, would Trump have a problem there? Oh, he called Hillary Clinton names. He <laughs> that wouldn't that wouldn't hold him yeah, back. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so we've got that we've got that one taken care of. The second thing is that there was a poll done and Michelle Obama did come in third in a uh, federal election. It was Trump, then it was Biden, and then it was Michelle Obama. Uh, Michelle Obama has a couple of problems. When her husband uh, secured the presidency, it was the first time she came out and she said, this is the first time I've ever felt proud of this country. So she's got that problem. She's got a few other problems that would definitely come out because she was a lawyer for the mayor of one of the most corrupt cities, Chicago, in the United States that has a history for decades of it being um, corrupt. So a lot of that would come out. 
And uh, the dog Democrats, dog Democrats means even if there's a dog running, they're going to run, they're going to vote Democrat. They would support her. Yeah. Jan, absolutely fascinating stuff. I was going to ask you about the court cases with Trump and what's happening there, but sadly we have run out of time. Um, thank you um, very much, Jan, for getting out of bed early this morning. You're, um, I believe, um, on Eastern time in the US. Um, I know you're coming back to the UK soon, so we'll have to get you back on um, very soon because I think there's lots to talk about um, this year as we run up to the US presidential elections. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jan Hulpler-Hayes. Thank you very much, Jan. Wow, what a show today. Um, some real interesting insights there into the farming industry and what's behind all this pressure on farmers and some really interesting stuff there on the US, um, the border and the elections coming up. So, as I always say, stick with us right here on TNT. TNT.